Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, full of existential dread and foreboding, and I'm joined by two people with a remarkable lack of concern regarding yesterday's performance, Darren Driver and Tom Woodhead. Chaps, how are we feeling? Yeah, I mean, the thing about existential dread is that you do just kind of go on about your daily life and it's just always there in the background, isn't it? Like it's uh, For it to be existential, um, yeah, you, you do sort of just learn to live with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, um, I practice mindfulness a lot, so I've got used to kind of um, putting difficult, just accepting difficult things and then getting on with my life without them impacting the quali- my quality of life. So that's kind of where I am this morning. <laughs> right. I think we should just go through the general feelings that we had after that game. I think we should set out how we felt the game went, um, look at maybe some of the things that we did well, some of the things we did badly, and sort of have a the day after, the night before um, sort of takedown of, what, of, of how we're feeling now. So um, let's start with you, Darren. How did you feel that the game went for, from your perspective? From my perspective, it went very much like every defeat, more or less, that we've had under Bielsa, um, which is about about twenty percent of our of our matches, isn't it? So we come up against a, a big physical side that have got a plan to either waste time or to to um, to try and kill the game in some way, and um, we give away a silly goal, and then and then they pack the box, and that that's just very very much how how yesterday went. Um, if we'd have got the first goal, I think things would have been very, very different. Um, but but we didn't. And football is a game of ifs, buts and maybes, isn't it? Yeah, I feel very similar to Darren, really. I feel like we've we've almost, this team's almost completely boiled down now to, if we get the first goal, we win. If we don't get the first goal, it's really hard and we have to really fight for everything. And yeah, yesterday, it, it was, it reminded me a little bit of the Nottingham Forest game, um, you know, for for Junior Hoylet, Reed, Sammy Amiobi, like there was one player that we just weren't quite paying enough attention to on the break, and we got stung. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess we should talk about the the fact that there was two mistakes, both of which led to goals. Uh, I think we should be also quite honest about the fact that, despite the fact that they were both terrible mistakes, 
they also led to quite small chances. I think both chances were about 0.1 xG. So you're expecting, on average, for those sorts of chances to be finished, ten one one time out of ten. So not not huge chances that were created. Um, and still a lot that had to be done. I think there's a lot of people who look into goals like that and try and apportion blame. So obviously Calvin Phillips missed past the ball. That was, um, I think, fairly unforgivable insofar as it wasn't a hard pass. Um, Liam Cooper's pass was okay. It was just underweighted. Um, and then I think I've seen a few people complaining about um, Ilan Meslier as well, which I think always is going to happen. But I think what we have to remember with Leeds United goalkeepers under Bielsa is that when we give away chances, often we're giving away chances like that in, in terms of um, we're on in an attacking transition. Um, the ball is given away in the midfield area with so much spacing between all of our players. There's no one there. To, to 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 tidy up so it's quite easy to break us down and then often it means that the the goalkeeper really doesn't have much of a chance to actually narrow down the angle because take for example Glatzel's goal yesterday he just the ball fell for him perfectly he had the whole goal to aim at he pings it in where does Ilan Meslier stand he's he has absolutely no chance of 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 being in the right place for that because the 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 goal is fully open to him so I think we should be we should be honest about that but let's talk a little bit about the mistakes is it worrying that Leeds are making mistakes again I I don't think Meslier is hugely at fault for either of those goals I think you can definitely fault Ben White for the first one um he was backing off too much and he could have he could have closed down Hoylet a lot quicker um but it's always concerning when you make mistakes isn't it but I think we do usually make one or two mistakes like that per game uh, and most of the time uh, they aren't punished. And yesterday they got punished twice. We actually, yeah, the third chance that we gave away where their striker just for some reason neglected to shoot was actually a much better chance than either of those, either of those two. So it's obviously concerning to, yeah, as I say, to be conceding mistakes, but I don't think it's unprecedented. We we have We have been making mistakes like that most games, I think. I think one was a technical error, Calvin's, where obviously he plays that pass hundreds of times a week probably in in training that that kind of you know gets it from a cooper bounces it off him and, and gets it to white and um that that had the feel of it had a kind of pre-season feel to me that kind of that sort of rust that needs knocking out of the team the second one um the cooper one i thought was more a, a, a um an error in decision making rather than in the pass itself I, the pass to alioski was the wrong pass and i think the thing that nobody i've seen talking about is the fact that just a few seconds before that, he'd taken a real bump to the head from Glatzel, and I'm sure there were cobwebs there, and I think a few seconds just killing the pace of the game and giving him chance to recover might have been a better decision rather than getting quickly on with the game um, when he was probably still a bit cloudy. Yeah, in terms of decision-making, actually, that situation was interesting because that pass came from a free kick that was given when um, I think Cooper was, like you said, he was pulled down by... Uh, I think it was Sean Morrison who pulled him down, um, and Leeds went to take the free quick free kick. But one of the um, Cardiff players came in and actually kicked the ball away, and it, and actually quite annoyed me that the ref didn't pull the Cardiff players up for that because I think again it's one of those things where if you're able to play the ball away quickly you get that pass away and you don't have the the attendant goal everyone's still compacted because they're still in a defensive transition anyway mm. um, and I mean again you know you don't you don't hold that against the referee but yeah um, it's one of those things where you kind of think you know it's it's, it's just sort of decision making um, and then a, a sort of sense of unluckiness and let's face it we've, we've mentioned it already that both 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 goals are very good very well taken by their their 
their players, but um, you're not expecting them to score them most of the time. And it just feels as though, to me, that you know, we, we, we all seem to be on disproportionately punished for mistakes that we make. Um, now, I'm sure that's probably not not true if you actually um, dig down in the numbers, but yesterday that was certainly the case. As I was saying before, I think we make mistakes like that most games and then you never see them again. Uh, you know, we, we'll make a little mistake, but uh, someone will, you know, be in with a tackle straight away and we'll uh, we'll get the ball back. So, and then unless you watch the entire 90 minutes back, you never see that again. So it doesn't get poured over in the same way that these ones will. Yeah, although I do think that what worries me about those sorts of mistakes is when you make them in attacking transition, everyone is obviously miles away from the ball and and that's why those teams sort of punish us because I mean, yeah, Ben White was slow. He he tried it was weird because it was almost as though he was expecting Hoylet to go onto his stronger foot um and then was thinking, well, I should I should watch out the the guy coming down uh, the the wing and leave it to to one of the other defenders to sort it out. Um uh but at the same time you know, there's so much. They had so much space to work with. It's just such a horrible job defending an attacker who's who's essentially got two players to be running at you with all of the pitch to aim at. It's it's, it's just tough. And giving away a mistake, like fair enough, a, a ball turnover when when you've got your team behind you is fine. But in that situation with Calvin back to goal, an easy pass into into Ben White, and then just under hitting the pass and, and misdirecting the pass, and it it's just it's just so hard to defend. And it's you know it's it's. I think we we should just sort of be honest about that. We, they, I do think that we, we... Let's talk about the things that we do think that went badly because I think, for me, I got the impression that... The, thing, the big frustration I have with this team is, and the reason why I was so worried about yesterday is because that was a game where if you win it, our running, is, it becomes so much easier. And every time we have games like that where if you just get that win in and it becomes easier, we, we cannot really get a grip on the game at the beginning. And I felt yesterday, you know, Leeds are slow. They are tentative. They know that teams are going to come out and they're going to press for the first 15 minutes and then sit back. And Leeds don't ever really seem to take a grip on the game and they almost let the other team... It's, it's a common um, criticism, I think, that they, they let teams sort of detect, dictate the play at first and then they try and turn the screw a bit. Um, but I, I, I just find it frustrating because I think, you know, if you come out there and you, you, you are a little bit upbeat, you are sort of... Um, you have a little bit of force behind you and you say, you know, yes, we're going to trust the process. We're going to do what we always do. But you can also be a little bit more ruthless. And I don't think we're very ruthless at the beginning of games. And yesterday was one of those games where I felt just from the first 15 minutes, I was like, we're we're just sort of relying on the other team, not scoring. And then I was sort of turning the screw later on in the game. And that's what frustrates me about this team is that is that we are sort of very much a passive team. Um, a lot of people will talk about leadership, etc. But there's not, there's just not many players on our team who I kind of think they're just going to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, now maybe that's because of the the approach that Bielsa has, which is you know we trust the process, we do what we do, and because we know that we are going to do what we do better than the opposition, we'll eventually win. But I, I get that sort of frustration about about this team um, quite regularly, and this was another thing from that. So um, did did do either of you have have a similar feeling about just not quite being peppy enough at the beginning of the game? Yeah, I, I just sort of think that there was there was a general lack of sharpness which showed itself throughout the ninety minutes, but but as you say, particularly in that in that first kind of fifteen. Um, having said all that, John, um, I don't think that um, Cardiff made made one decent opportunity when they when they were really on top and pressing us. So it was a lot of long throws into the box which we dealt with well. Um, a lot of kind of high balls which again they didn't really kind of trouble us. Um, 
And yeah, so I, while while I hear what you're saying, and I would have much, and I, I kind of predicted, if you remember, in in the preview podcast that I thought would come out quickly as we did at Elland Road, because Cardiff tend to defend with a with a higher line than than most teams do against us, um, and and I was a bit disappointed that we didn't do that, like 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 you were, but um, yeah, so I, I kind of I kind of agree with that criticism. I can understand where the criticism is coming from, and. Um... I, I do I do sort of agree with it, but as you say, it's something that we've all we've done that pretty much most games this season, haven't we? We've sort of felt the team out for ten or fifteen minutes, and I thought we actually did weather that storm relatively well. Uh, and we in in the first half, I thought we you know it wasn't that dissimilar from a lot of other first halves this season. Um, I think we let the game get away from us in the second half, but I think first half we were it was a it was a typical first half. Uh, you know, two thousand nineteen. 2020 performance I thought yeah no I do agree with that I just kind of I, I just kind of wish that maybe in a game like this because we, I mean we're coming off the back of a, uh, a win against Huddersfield where we did that you know we we really took the game on we scored very early um, and there's been games like that this season I think the Borough game as well stands out where we just got on it got on with it got the early goal and then we we're just flying we look great and um, sometimes we just come out and we look like we're just going to beat everyone that we've faced and then other times we just sort of come out and and I get the impression um again like we we often say in this podcast we don't really like talking about the psychology of the game because there's no way you can really quantify that but it I think a lot of people saying you know we lack, we lacked a bit of sharpness and I don't I don't think sharpness is the issue here I I genuinely think that we we aren't we are too passive in in games like this where games where actually if we came out and we would I'm, I'm not saying just hammer and tongs it for the first 15 minutes I'm just simply saying let's just try and we just need to get on the ball, um, get some get some really positive passing in, get some really good rotations in early on, rather than just sort of looking a little bit rabbits in the headlight um, and and then not really responding to teams until they've got the first goal, which I think I see that a lot as well. But again, this is a minor criticism because at the end of the day, we, we created enough chances to win that game and Cardiff didn't really create good enough chances to deserve winning it either. So that's obviously the, the context within which this criticism is coming from. I'm just simply suggesting that actually what worries me about this team is that we expect it to just sort of because we trust the process we sort of think well you just trust the process and get on with it whereas I think obviously you trust the process but also the process requires that you are putting you know you are expecting it to be hard you are expecting to have to work for 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 games and and maybe sometimes I'm not seeing that but we could talk about the negatives I think all all day long anyone got a final thing on that? I just half wonder if um, the reason why we sometimes see us c- coming out of the blocks a bit faster, sometimes being a bit more cautious at the start, is whether we're a bit more cautious when the way the opponent's setting up is slightly different to what we expected, maybe. Um, like, you know, the team being prepared all week for one, one way of playing and the opposition is maybe not quite exactly the same as we're expecting. Yeah, but do you not think that against Cardiff we knew exactly how they were going to set up? I mean, this is exactly how they set up last time and they played exactly how I expected them to play. And if I'm expecting them to play that way, then I, you can be sure as hell that Bielsa expected them to play that way. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking more in a in a small details sort of sense, things that right. we wouldn't necessarily perceive, like, you know, small differences in positioning and things like that. And then when, when you're playing such a, you know, it seems like a fluid system, but it's actually a very rigid system that we play and that people have to be in certain positions at certain times. You know, very small things could easily knock that out of joint until you've worked out exactly what's going on. I mean, it's only a theory and I'm not, I'm not saying that is the case. I just thought it was something to think about. And I think that's partly what I mean by sharpness. It's that kind of it's match. It's kind of match fitness, if you like, or match match practice, which we which we haven't got. And I I feel like in terms of um, 
when I talk about sharpness, what I mean really is I think that, that we were in a real groove before the break and we had a lot of momentum and everything was working beautifully. The, the wingers were, you know, kind of delivering um, much better quality of crosses than happened yesterday, for example. Um, and, and I think that some rust really showed and, um, and yeah, we, we just weren't in that same groove that we were in against Huddersfield and against Hull. Yeah. So last time, the result against Cardiff sent us off in a bit of a tailspin. And again, I think this is why I was maybe overly nervous about this game because it's what on paper that I think you should like. If we, if we, if the break doesn't come in, the momentum that we have, we roll Cardiff over. I think probably most of the time. And I, yeah, again, we've done enough to do that, but I think yeah. that wouldn't have been any issue. Is there any worry now that you know this that that because after the Cardiff game, that was when we started started the descent into the the sort of nadir that ended with with um. Forest that the, the defeat to Forest. Um, is there any worry now that there's going to be a similar sort of off the rails? However, however um, uh, unaffected it might be in the long run, because um, I think we do have a lot of points to play with. But you know, if we lose to Fulham next weekend, um, you're suddenly four points clear, um, and uh, yeah, everyone everyone's starting to be a little bit more worried. Um, and then all it takes is then a couple of a couple of losses or a, a loss and a draw here and there. And suddenly we're right back in that race that we were so far ahead of before the break. Is anyone worried about the psychology behind all of this? Definitely. I mean, you have to worry about stuff like that, don't you? Or you, or, or you just don't care. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, the th- the sort of thing that I worry about is, you know, we, we play Fulham and we're playing well 10 minutes in and they get a really unjust penalty or something like that. Something that I worry more about things that we can't control going against us and that building frustration and that meaning that the players start worrying about everything and become tentative in what they're doing rather than I think one game we can chalk it off as a bad day uh I think Fulham will be um yeah as I say it'll be it'll be dictated a lot in the first 20 minutes and if we don't want anything seriously wrong going wrong Well, I'm conscious that we've got lots of questions, so we should start going through them. Um, a couple of good questions to begin with, I think, here, just maybe focusing on the positives a, bit, a little bit more. David Martin says, given the lack, given the stats, the lack of Pablo, I was usually foundering against Cardiff slash Neil Harris. Do you think that everyone should just calm down a bit? Yes, very <laughs> much so. I, I, I think I think that, that that as Tom kind of alluded to in the previous one, if if you're on a if you're on a run of defeats, that's very different from losing one match and then needing to pick yourself up for the next one. Um we're, we're not currently in a, in a in a poor run. We're coming off the back of a very good run, albeit some time ago. And I don't think that the Cardiff match impacts how we'll play against Fulham at all. Yeah, I I, I was actually quite surprised by how apocalyptic like the response has been to this game. Um obviously it was bad, but I didn't quite expect some people are seriously losing their minds on Twitter and stuff and uh, it's not I just I, I honestly wasn't expecting it to be quite that meltdown-ish but maybe I'm being naive maybe forgetting that statistically we win more matches under Bielsa than at any other time in our history you know I think it's important to remember that on top of this we've got unsure man number four who asks what if anything did we do well and I think it's it's probably good for us to talk a little bit about about that um what do we think that went went well in the game Uh, anyone got anything I mean for me I was quite pleased that Calvin Phillips didn't get sent off because it very much looked like it was heading that way at one point did yeah Um, so is that that, is that is that a fair enough positive to focus on because he would have been sent off in the past right well I think it's a fair enough positive and I also think Calvin had a superb second half um he seemed to really pick himself up in the second half and his passing was very good I thought he was by far our best player in the second half. Um, and that was useful as Klitsch was tiring. Um, but Klitsch, And I thought Klitsch had a really good first half as well. Um, as, 
and then he obviously tired and nearly cut, nearly got sent off in the same way that he got sent off against Cardiff on his one game under Christiansen or whatever it was. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think anyone was terrible in their overall game, which I guess has to be a positive, doesn't it? <laughs> I, th- I thought we, we moved the ball through the thirds just about as well as we normally do, and we got it into the final third a lot. So I think that from that point of view, if you think about that kind of Pep, Pep Guardiola quote of my job is to get you into the final third and your job is to finish it off, I think that, that you know Bielsa obviously has some quite similar ideas. Um, so I, I think that you know we, we did move the ball well, albeit with a few more mistakes in there than we would normally see. I guess the the big question. I don't know. I don't know how either of you would agree with this, but it felt very Wigany to me this game in terms of you know two low low percentage chances from the opposition, and then us just trying to break down a defence, and we just cannot break down deep line defences because we do not have players of the guile to be able to do that, and that's just the the long and short of it for Leeds. Um, that I've said this before on this podcast, and I'll say it again. The 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 real upside from Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United is that he gets the team playing in a brilliant cohesive unit which can manipulate space break teams down if teams are going to sit two banks of four you don't you, you there's no space to manipulate you the only way you can break them down is by intricate play and by having creative players who can who can do that and the Pep Guardiola quote is great for that because that's true it's like I get you to the final third and then it's pretty much down to you there's there's not really much more Bielsa can do other than have his team in the final third and he's achieved that on numerous occasions and the reason that teams sit back against us is precisely because they realise if they don't sit back against us we're going to end up in the final third anyway and then there's going to be a lot more space for us to, to punish them on in terms of goal scoring so the the reason why Neil Harris will sit deep and then try and hit us on the break is is because he knows it's the best chance he's got of stealing a result and that's what happened yesterday. Absolutely and there's more than one way to win a football match you know and, and it, it was effective wasn't it and we struggle with pace and power on the break especially when we can't hurt um, when when they're high up the field in our transition and that's something which again that that um comparison you made to the Wigan game there John was something I thought about in the in the sense that you know we re- we really struggle when somebody catches us deep in our half and drives at our back four um and that that's what happened yesterday incidentally I thought that Cooper made Hoylett's decision up for decision for him yesterday to to shoot by just being distracted by the play running into the box and he moved slightly to the left which gave the gap which is just one of those one of those things that happens, isn't it? But that's uh, I think it's a really good point. I think um, your point about it being up to the players to do their thing in the final third is as well part of the reason why historically Bielsa has preferred tall players as strikers. Um, you know, big big men who are good in the air. Um, and obviously, people might argue that's not quite the case with Bamford. But I think that was definitely his height was definitely a factor in why we signed him. Uh, you know, he had Lorente at uh, Bilbao and he had um, Gignac, didn't he, at Marseille. And both mm. people you would consider to be good in the air, sort of target men type players. And that's why I never quite understood why people thought the roof was better um, in, our, in this system than Bamford. You know, whatever faults Bamford may have. Um, I think I think it's quite clear that, that Bielsa, in his ideal team, would have um, a, a, a Urente type player, like a uh, someone who someone who you could whack the ball into the box and he could just rise above the defender and score, which would stop quite so many teams packing the box the way they do. 
That was another thing that reminded me about the Wigan game, actually, the fact that we put so many crosses in um, yesterday and, and I, I didn't think the crossing was particularly good. Yeah. Uh, we put 46 crosses in, 12 of which were accurate at an, at a, at an accuracy rate of 26%, which is, I mean, it's not terrible. Um, um, uh, Cardiff had two, nine crosses, two of which were accurate at 22%. But um, when you have as much dominance as we did and you have as much time to get crosses in as we do that we do we do our, our crossing is fairly woeful at times and i think there was the only the the only good cross that i can think of was Stuart dallas's dink to the back post that that bamford um put across for tyler roberts and that was one of the few chances that we we actually really good chances that we created i think the thing as well is that is that crossing is just really hard um mm. when you think of, when you think of an all of world football players who you would consider to be good crossers you only come out with about three or four names really don't you that mm. people like you've got trent alexander arnold Kevin De Bruyne mm. um, and and no, not that many other players are known for being great crossers, are they? Like because it is really hard to consistently deliver great crosses. Yeah, this is something that we're going to come on to later, actually, about corners. But I do think it should be said at this point. Marcelo Bielsa makes uh, a decision of how he wants to play football and that is by bringing in players who are quick, good on the ball and able to move the ball around well. Generally, those players are going to have smaller, are going to be smaller, yeah. are going to have lower centres of gra- gravity and the result is is that we are, I think, a little bit weaker in, in terms of uh, head in, heading attacks but also in terms of set pieces um and i think you know that's that's just a payoff i mean if you don't have that you end up with a team like cardiff and and i'm I'm guessing most of us wouldn't want us to set up our team as a cardiff type team hitting on the counter-attack and hoping for a a free kick in and around the box that you can then boom in um so a lot of this sort of stuff comes down to just a decision that's made about style um and I, i certainly don't have a problem with that um, but I do agree with you that you know that Bielsa does want that big player because his system will tend towards teams sitting deeper and deeper and deeper until it's nice to have an outlet, which is someone someone coming in. Um, and I actually a conversation I was having yesterday with someone just about the, my frustrations with the way that we've done the transfer window recently is that I think we just needed to get any young striker in um, in January as a backup. Um, just because I think we we're now in a situation where we don't have anyone who we can just if you just got someone who is a, a bona fide header of the ball bring them on last twenty minutes um, and in these situations you, at least you've got someone to aim at um, and we haven't done that and now we're, in, we're now we're in a situation where our two striking options are on the field at the same time and we had we we have very little to to go with when when Bamford has the sort of game he has yesterday where it feels like nothing is going to go right for him you just kind of feel as though there's there's nothing you can do about it so. On Bamford, I, I thought that I, I thought he had a relatively poor game yesterday, and you know I'll 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 say when I think he's had a good one, as as you know. But however, the, he missed one 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 of the three big chances that we had. Um, the one that he stopped on the line would have been given offside, even if he'd have jumped out of the way. Um, so that that's kind of you know I don't think he's at fault there. I think I think Jack Harrison had twenty four feet to choose from, and he chose the the exact bit where Patrick Bamford was standing. And I think that's more of the problem personally. He should be doing that when he's crossing. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it it was one of Bamford's poorer games for us, but he does tend to struggle in those sorts of games um, because he's 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 against, he's against two huge huge central defenders who are both very physically strong um and we were just kind of by the end I felt we were just kind of lumping balls really you know there, there wasn't a huge amount of um class or guile on the crosses it was it was kind of just throw it in and hope something happens you know really 
Yeah, and look, Cardiff just just retreated and um, made it very, very hard for us to have any space. They were constantly in the box. And the reason why they only created 0.3 XG over the whole 90 minutes is precisely because of that. That was the that was the payoff that they went for. And but Bamford is Bamford is useful for us because he's a useful presser. He's useful moving um, moving players around, dropping out into wide positions, dropping deep. Mm-hmm. He didn't have he didn't have the chance to do that yesterday because there was no need. You don't it's, again. No. It's all about mani- spatial manipulation, and there was no space to manipulate. Cardiff were just like come into our final third and try and beat us in a in a sort of attack versus defense chip into the box, and it didn't work out for us. And that's yeah. it. That's the long and short of it. So, but I think we could talk about that all day. But we should we should move on. Absolutely. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I want to talk about game state because I think a, a lot of a lot of people who uh, engage with our account don't seem to understand that when you're one nil down, that the, the slate that is clean at, uh, when you're drawing is is completely weighted in a certain way. Um, and a Leeds fan should know this by now that you know as soon as we go one nil down, we are much less likely to to win a game, and that is precisely because of what we're talking about. Um, so again, game state um, hugely important concept for us to talk about. Game state is just simply what's the scoreline. If 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 the if the, if we're losing, we're much less likely to to win uh, if we're winning we're much less like more likely to score more goals um, and that's just the the way that it is and it's something that we should be aware of Neil Mulby asked um, can we get stats on how many times we've conceded shots on target um, versus goals against ratio and when that is one uh, compared to other dominant teams e.g. West Brom so yesterday they had two shots on target and we conceded both of them is it just us or does this happen to others um, I haven't gone through and worked out the stats for this because I have other things to be doing with my life but um, one act, one thing I would say is, firstly, I suspect this is probably quite a low figure, um, because you know that doesn't happen very often. Um, I would say it's probably it probably happens to us more than others, and I think that's probably because, as I said before, when we when we make mistakes, we do create chances that are sort of outlier chances compared to what you might expect from other teams. So, for example, that Robert Glatzel chance that was created is, um, I would say, quite a, um, it's a good bad chance if that makes sense you know he's he's it's the best chance he has of absolutely clonking it on target um because there's no one around him the ball sat up beautifully for him um so when you when you're looking at things like xg or looking at um, chance quality that is a much better chance than you might expect in that sort of position so i do think that we do this and as i said before you know what does ilan meslier do there because he has to defend the whole goal whereas i think if there's more defenders around uh, glatzel he has 
he has much less of a of an angle to aim out of the goal, and the goalkeeper can, can read the position of the players and position himself accordingly. So I think we should we should uh, mention that. Anyone got anything else to say on that? Just that our um, expected uh, goals against is 0.9, and our actual goals against is 0.9. So there's there's, there's not a huge variance. Well, there's no variance in in what you'd expect to see in terms of goals conceded given the chances that we've conceded across the season. So that's per ninety, yeah, zero point nine per ninety. So yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we we're giving up like basically a goal a goal's worth of chances a game, um, yeah. which is really quite good. Um, and yeah, yeah, sort of. I I agree with you in that you have to look at that stat and be like, yes, we give up annoying chances, um, but but we're pretty much on target for what we should expect. And as we said before we came on, the issue is that we're not score. We're way below our expected goals target rather Absolutely. than way over our, or under our um, expected goals against. Just one thing on um, game state as well. Obviously, Cardiff we're going to break. We're, we're going to try and break down play. Um, as soon as they got ahead of us, um, and uh, Greydeck asks, do we feel that the walk to breaks and five subs work uh, against our style of play? It did seem that Cardiff didn't really tire as you might have expected them to, um, and Harris also seemed to instigate the first water break when we we're dominating the game. Um, yeah, Neil Harris shit housed after we went goal down, but that's what they do, and that's their prerogative. They can do that. They've earned the right to do that because they scored a goal against us, um, and that's that's just that's just football as it happens against us. That's what is going to happen. So yeah, I do think that's a natural thing for for Harris to be doing, trying to yeah. get every sort of edge that he can. Absolutely, and it wasn't just it wasn't just the water break and the five subs. It was also the heavy dry pitch. You know that that where the ball didn't zip around like we like it to. I mean, I don't blame any manager for trying to create the conditions that they need for their team to win a match. Um, yeah, as yeah. much as I detest watching it when it's happening against us, which, as it did yesterday. But but I don't blame them mm. um, at all. I, I do think you, you do have to have some serious brass balls to <laughs> like do that amount of time wasting when there's not even a crowd there. Like It feels like almost more evil when you're doing it without fans there because at least your own fans are kind of loving it in a sort of, you know a sadistic way just sit, seeing you taking five minutes over every throw in but yeah when, when there's not even a crowd there to enjoy it it just feels yeah. evil <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah the, the, I, I think Bielsa seemed very frustrated with that first water break in particular mm. he, he he seemed genuinely annoyed by it like uh, and I think did the Leeds players actually stay on the pitch during the first water break and didn't even take any water I, did, I, yeah. I, I could be wrong about that but that's yeah yeah so so uh, it's obviously something that Leeds don't want Alongside the the time wasting on thrones and injuries, there was also a, an incredible number of tactical fouls made by Cardiff mm. um, when we were starting to make good positions. There was, I particularly remember one point where where Costa had got past his man, and it was just that silly grab his arm, pull him down type foul. But we saw that repeatedly throughout the match, and that is also incredibly frustrating. I'll, I'll defend that though, because we do that as well. Yeah, <laughs> but it's different when it happens when it's happening to us than, than against us. Tom, come on. <laughs> I do think as well that Cardiff, you know, they, they their game plan was give away free kicks um, and stop them from getting in the box. Yeah, precisely because if they were if we were on the break, that's when we look dangerous. You know, if 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 we're breaking and we're in behind their midfield, which happened very few times because they were just happy to retreat and and take that. They were they were immediate thing was tactical foul. Whereas with us, I think it's more of a case. I remember Click did one particularly egregious foul um, when when he sort of lost the ball in a, again in a, a in a transition phase where he realised they probably have a good chance here and just had to pull us pull him down. For us, I think it's more of a defensive thing. Whereas for other teams, I think it's just um, it's more of a this is our game plan. 
um, we 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 take them down in the final third because we we would rather them try and beat us from a, from a free kick into the box than than by actually getting into our box. But not to bang on about referees, but I also thought that the referee yesterday didn't really do much to stop them from time wasting no. and doing that kind of thing. You know, he'd have a word with the goalkeeper who would then proceed to go just as slowly, uh, and nothing was really done about it. So you'd think that with you know, games behind closed doors that you could stamp down on this stuff a bit more easily without a hostile crowd getting annoyed about it. But it didn't seem to be the case yesterday. I mean, I hate talking about referees, but I, I was going to say, I, I hate talking about referees, but I felt yesterday the referee sort of played into their hands a little bit in, in that he was so happy to to just call fouls whenever a player just sort of went down from yeah. minimal contact. Um and I think you see there was a there was an example in the game I think where the players got frustrated because there was one time when it didn't happen to Leeds like Costa got pulled down mm-hmm. Costa got fouled basically the, the I think it was Joe Bennett came in quite late and cleared him out yeah. after the ball had gone um, and then there was two Leeds big big Leeds challenges came in after that and I think that was because you know Callum Patterson spent the, the day just sort of winning winning the ball waiting for the cha- the the contact and then going down and the ref was just happy to blow that up all day long and it, again that that all played into breaking the rhythm breaking the rhythm breaking yeah. the rhythm which Again, that's their prerogative, it's their tactic, and it's a good way of playing against Leeds, but it is incredibly frustrating as a yeah. fan. He seemed to not really want us to take quick free kicks either. Um, we, you know, yeah. Every time we took a quick free kick, he would pull it back because it was in slightly wrong position or he hadn't finished talking to the Cardiff player or something. And it, it's, it, I really think you have to give the advantage to the team who's won the free kick in that situation, if, if you know, err on that side, but I guess I would say that. Just thinking about that that um, Bennett challenge on Costa was was the first time you got the great football man cliche of he wanted it more given <laughs> in the game, which was uh, on the commentary, which was actually no, what that was, mate, it was a foul. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more generally about the game. So we've got some general questions, and then we've got some um, individual questions. Um, before we do this, something just something that we talked about before we came on air that I think. There's been generally on online two responses to this game. One of which is um, that that this is terrible and there's problems here, and the solution to these problems is we bring on this player or that player or the other player. Um, so you know, someone like, someone like Ian Pervader is the solution to all of our problems. Um, the other, th- I think, the other response is, oh, you know, there's nothing wrong here. We created enough to win. Just if we play like this enough times, uh, the the will will be fine. And I think maybe for me, the solution is somewhere in between those two. I think it's this is one of the this is a period of time where I'm I'm very nervous because I think we are a very psychologically weak side, and I do think we just need to get on with get a win under our belt, get on with it, and then I think once we've got that win, I'll feel okay. But until we get that win, I'm I'm going to be nervous that we that we haven't done it. And I think yesterday was not it was. It, that was the sort of game where you have to come out, you have to be able to beat, you have to think, you know, Cardiff are going to sit deep and we, we, we just have to try and hammer them the whole game. And I think we, we took too long doing that. So I, I just thought I would say that before um, because we got a lot of questions in the individual section about uh, from people being like, this player was the problem. Talk about the stats of this player. This is what they need to do. And I think, you know, the, I think the, the, the problems yesterday were, were team problems. Um, yes, there was a couple of individual mistakes, but um I I do I I don't feel as though we have any player who sort of I said before takes the game by the scruff of the neck and maybe we don't need players like that maybe that's what trusting the process is but um, for me it's, it's it's about just having someone who comes in and makes those sort of makes those um, ambitious passes and, and and is thinking right let's let's progress the ball quickly let's try and let's not just be passive about this um, and let's try and let's try and be on the front foot let's not wait for them to because it seems like so often we just sort of wait for the team to score and then we're like right we're now going to turn the turn through the gears and it'd be quite nice to turn through these gears earlier on but anyway general questions about the game 
Um, how many passes went astray? Alistair Craven asked. It seemed like there was an awful lot, far more than normal from Bielsa. Alistair, you are in fact wrong. Um, we had 406 accurate passes, a, a pass percentage, um, pass success percentage of 79%. Our average this season is 80.3. So we're pretty much bang on our, our passing um, rates. We did have quite a few uh, losses of possession. Um, so, you know, a, a pass percentage rate is obviously based on how many passes are successful, but that doesn't say how the passes aren't successful. And 20 turnover balls sounds a lot to me. So there was probably a fair amount of passing that was uh, that was gone um, awry and went straight to an opposition player. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the data yet because it won't have been coded. So we couldn't do much more than, than simply find out the, the base figures. So um, it didn't feel to me like we missed a huge amount of passing. Well, maybe maybe that's not true. There was there was certainly some sloppy passing and there was there were situations where in transition we were missing easy passes where you know you have you have a lot of space in front of a player that you would usually play into and then we would play behind the player and they had slowed them down. Um and there was a few times where we just played the ball out of out of touch as well. But I mean when you compare that with with um Cardiff's figures, they they made it their pass percentage rate was fifty nine percent, which is which is woeful obviously, but that's because so much of it was just sort of long long passing into into hopeful spaces but uh, anyone got any thoughts on the passing in the game Did anyone feel as though it was worse than usual it was a few key occasions yeah as, as we discussed I think it was it was more that occasionally moves would break down where they where they wouldn't normally make down break down sorry rather than that the passing in general was off it was yeah it was more that moves were breaking down at points that they wouldn't usually Seb Wassel of this uh, of this parish asks, I'd be interested in seeing data on our pressing and progressive passes, especially alongside final third slash penalty area entries today in comparison to the rest of the season. Again, we don't have this data available to us right now because it's not been coded yet, uh, but I think it would be interesting to see too. Um, in terms of progressive passes, I suspect we'll probably be quite impressive just because Cardiff put up very little um, in in the way of uh, resistance to us. They just sort of let us progress the ball down the field. And for me, the issue the issue is not necessarily final third passing and penalty area entries because we had I can't remember, but I think it was at half time we'd had something like thirty one touches in the box already. I mean, that's when you're hitting those sorts of figures. the The issue isn't getting where you're getting. Um, the issue is is something more more um, basic than that. And I think we've talked about that already. So, but in terms of the pressing, I did feel as though we didn't press quite so strongly as we usually would but then again it's not like Cardiff were decompressed and we're trying to bypass our press again they were just going they were sort of going long um and and yeah hoping for the best um and that's going to upset this is why they do that though because again what what is it leads to well they progress the ball well and they press well um if you can just take those aspects out of the game then then you're 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 upsetting the way that leads usually play um, Fitzroy Baggers we had a couple of questions about corners Fitzroy Bagger asks uh, what is our conversion rate for corners is it still the lowest in the division why is that why can we not at least try to find a near post flick on Ala Strachan to White to Chapman um, I couldn't actually find how many corners we've scored from I've, I've only found set pieces but I think it's it's instructive I think corners and set pieces sort of come into it the same um, and Leeds have the joint second from bottom um return rate on set pieces so we've only 
We've only scored from eight set of pieces this season. Um, only Huddersfield have worse than us, and we're joint with Fulham, which re- I find remarkable given they've got Mitrovic, but that's another story entirely. Entirely. In terms of um, corners per game, we have the highest number of corners per game. We have, uh, on average, uh, around 7.5 corners per game, 7.6, and 29% of those end in shots. Um, so, again, I think this comes, for me, this comes down to. Um, the fact that we just don't have any good headers of the ball. The best header of the ball in our team is Liam Cooper, I think. And I wouldn't have him down as being a particularly solid header of the ball. Um, gone are the days of Pontus Janssen and Carl Bartley just booming them in under Gary Monk. Um, and then Tyler says, who do you think should take our corners? Personally, quite like Calvin's deliveries, but there seems to be an unpopular opinion. Um, guys, any thoughts on on these two two questions? I was around, uh, as I think Tom may have been as well, when Gordon Strachan was taking the corners. And let me tell you, those po- those corners were not popular in the stadium. Everyone was saying, <laughs> why is he not banging it into the middle? <laughs> so that, you know, you just... I, I think the reason we don't take that corner is we don't have the three players. We don't have the, the player that can dink it into the front post with that level of accuracy. We don't have Chris White or, or his equivalent. And we certainly don't have a, a, an equivalent, equivalent of Lee Chapman in this team. Um, I think maybe trying that once in a while might be okay. But um, yeah, in terms of who can take corners, I don't know is, is, is a simple answer because I don't think any of our options deliver particularly consistently good corners. Regarding the uh, why can't we do this one specific corner routine uh, that, that worked in the early 90s, it, it feels almost a bit like saying why can't Pat Bamford just juggle the ball on his legs a couple of times and smash it in a la Tony Yeboa versus Wimbledon. <laughs> like, it, it, it's not really how things work, is it? But um, I, I, I quite like the idea of Jack Harrison having a go at the corners, which he has done once in a while. But I think partly um, the reason that we have the players, we have Calvin taking the corners is more about getting other place, other players in the right position to capitalise if the corner breaks down than it is about Calvin's delivery himself. A la, th- that's why I don't think Pablo tends to take them because we like to have Pablo on the edge of the box uh, for either the short option or if it breaks down, he's we've then got our most creative player just outside the box able to get on the ball. So I, I think Bielsa almost sees corners as a necessary evil to get the game going again as much as anything. Which is odd because if you look back at... Um, if you look back at his Newell's team, they were quite well-renowned set-piece specialists. I'm, I'm, I'm led to believe, I've obviously not watched that much footage, but apparently they were really good at um, free kicks and stuff and they worked uh, really hard on it. So I'm not sure what's changed his mind in the intervening years, but I think something obviously has. I mean, I think he still works quite hard on them now. I think there was a, there was a period last season where people were criticising the lack of scoring opportunities from set pieces, and I think that was pretty much one of the few sessions that Bielsa was taking personally on the training field. He was doing this the corners and, and free kick routines with them in a bid to sort of sort those things out. So he certainly he certainly cares about them. I, I just don't think we have an. It's, it's as simple as we don't have any really good headers of the ball, and when when that's the case, you know, you you are going to struggle when you've got someone like Urente or um, Gignac as you said I think I consider them a lot more aerially um, dominant than someone like Bamford and I think it just sort of comes down to that right let's move on to in, well, we've got one more question about sort of general game stuff. So Jake Mills asks, before the game, I was fully convinced Murderball was better than a friendly for preparation for the restart. I think the team looked as though a friendly would have benefited them. Views on this? Again, this comes down to whether or not I think the, the sharpness thing that you were talking about, Darren. Um, because for me, for me, I I, I didn't read that as, as a lack of match sharpness. I just sort of read it as rabbits in the, in the headlights having to go out and do something and just sort of being a little bit nervous and being like, you know, if we win this, then we, we make our lives easy. 
intensity and and um i th- we i think we are just a team who plays better under pressure and there was, a, there was this sort of idea that people had last season that we're we weren't very good front runners um we we were better when we were not top of the league and um, we were chasing a target than when we were actually there and we if we could have held on to our lead then then we we sort of lost it a little bit but anyone got any takes on this about the murder ball not being as good as maybe having some friendly games it's a good question, but it's it's not really a very easily answerable question because we don't know enough um, about. Uh, I, yeah, we'll never know, will we? Um, it, 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 as I say, it's it's an interesting thing to think about, but um, unless we could have a parallel reality where we do play a friendly and see the difference, it's really hard to say. I think the one variable is just is just the act of playing somebody else rather than playing against the same players you play against in training every single week several you know several times a week but i agree with tom it's not it's not really possible to to kind of give a, a conclusive answer so in that case i'll just say yes <laughs> i don't know Right, let's talk about individual player performances. And again, I've already mentioned this, but are we reading too much into games like this when we lose and then we just sort of think that the solution is, well, this player didn't play well enough and if we, we simply just need to bring um, another player on and then we'll ameliorate the problems that we had. But um, one of the frustrating narratives I think is out there is what this narrative that Cardiff always causes problems. I mean, I agree that Cardiff are the sort of team who can cause us problems, but um, again, I've put game state look at what happened last time we were 3-0 up against Cardiff absolutely no problem and that again that's a great example of what game state looks like um, this time round we conceded first and we we just completely collapsed um, and last time we scored first and we absolutely we played some of the best football we played under Bielsa and then obviously um, just sort of got sloppy towards the end slash again they were incredibly lucky <clears throat> so I would uh, I would want to, to premise anything that we say with with this notion that I don't think that the solution here is bring off Bamford to play Roberts up front and I don't know play Pervader as a 10 it, it, the, the process is the process and the process is why Bamford starts every game but talking of Bamford um, we had a couple of questions by uh, Varun Murray who asks would love to know Bamford's positions today versus previous games he didn't drop in deep like he does on several occasions um, and he also said I'd be curious to know the number of duels uh, Bamford today versus pre- previous games we missed a good performance for him with regard to these um, I think both of these come down to what I said before is that the way that Cardiff played didn't really suit Bamford's style um, in terms of his positioning, he's got barely any touches. Um, he has very few touches out wide on the on either wing, where you would usually expect him to to get into that sort of space. Uh, again, because he's not having to, he's not having to. We're not having to have um, the Leeds players try and hit the channels for him to pick up and then lay it into the middle. Leeds are just being allowed to progress, and then the ball is being laid into him in the middle. And you need to have your striker in the middle for for that sort of style of play. But very very few touches from him. I'm not sure how many it was in the end, but um, it wasn't a huge amount. Um, in terms of the jewels, I couldn't find individual jewels, but I did find aerial jewels. The only aerial jewel that he had and won was the one where he laid the ball across for, for Tyler Roberts, which in a game where he's in the middle, battling for aerial duels is uh, remarkably poor. Um, so yeah, I don't think our game plan worked out particularly well, but again, that's why why Cardiff played that way. We could keep banging on about that. Um, also, John Moon says, I'm interested to know how many of Bamford's touches were from forward passes versus rebounds. Also interested in any other methodology that looks at his movement, availability from for the ball. Lots of criticism on not creating chances, but he has to be available for them. Guys, bo- both of these questions sort of touching on the same thing. Patrick Bamford not looking very effective in this game. Um, anyone got any thoughts beyond this is just the sort of game that Bamford is not going to excel in. Just a quick thing on the Cardiff thing before 
uh, going to Bamford. Um, I think that has much deeper roots than most uh, we fear this team uh, things because it begins it begins with you know Leeds are in the Premier League and Alan Smith gets sent off down there and that was almost like the the proper beginning of our downfall. So I think I think Cardiff being a bogey team is uh, it's quite embedded in the psyche of Leeds fans in a way that for example. I'm trying to think of another like Blackburn probably don't play a, a, a hugely dissimilar style like but we wouldn't yeah. fear them in the same way because we have no history with Blackburn um uh, but, but uh Bamford uh, I thought he actually played quite well the first 15 or 20 minutes like when we were in that feeling out the game stage but after that yeah he, he seemed to become more and more peripheral as the game went on and more more frustrated less willing to use his right foot and all, all the all he started doing all the all the bad Bamford things as the game went on and fewer of the good Bamford things. Darren, you must have thoughts on Bamford. Yeah, just in terms of him dropping deep, I'm not I'm there was nowhere for him to drop deep to because what he normally does is he drops into the into the gap between the, the, the midfield and the back four and there simply wasn't that space. So it stands to reason that he wasn't going to be um effective in, in those areas or even particularly show up in mm. them. A lot throughout the match. Um, a lot of people asking about Helder Costa as well. Now, what was Costa doing wrong? I thought Pervade was going to replace Harrison. Uh, that's from Emilio Sanhueza. Um, LUFC says any stats on how many forward passes Helder Costa made in the game? Again, uh, we we don't have this data available to us. Um, thoughts on Costa, guys? Again, it's it's the sort of game where you know the reason we have Costa is in order to progress the ball, and it's a game where we don't need to progress the ball, and so. You, I thought what Cardiff did do well, to be fair, was doubling up on both of our wingers. So there was always a fullback and then uh, a midfielder just on the on the second. If in the event that they got around them, um, it happened on both sides with with both Harrison and Costa. Um, I didn't think Costa had a particularly good game. I didn't think he had a particularly bad game. I don't think it's the sort of game that's going to suit him. I thought. Harrison had a relatively poor game um, and it reminded me of his game against Wigan where it's sort of a combination of bad crosses into the box and also terrible decision making. Um, I One thing I will never forgive Harrison for is his ability to be in a situation where he can get a cross in and thinking no I can get a better chance of getting this cross in um, and I just wish he would take the earlier cross. I think we're we are a little bit too slow off the mark sometimes in terms of attacking that we just give opposition teams just an extra second to set themselves and um, I find that quite frustrating but again you know I think that the the clarion call of this podcast has been this is the way that the game was supposed to be played out by by Cardiff and and it played out into their hands uh, especially after they got those two goals so any thoughts on Costa and let's talk about Harrison as well Uh, Darren we'll go to you first I think that Perveda came on to replace Costa because I think inherently Bielsa trusts Harrison's ball striking um, and and his ability to find a cross. Even though I agree with you, he was very, his crossing was very very poor and his decision making was poor yesterday. Um, I thought that was also part of the reason why why we brought on Alioski was to try and kind of counter the the Cardiff double, if you like. Um, so um, I thought I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think I think it wasn't the sort of game where Costa's going to going to necessarily look good. Um, I saw a lot of criticism of him on Twitter, um, as 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 one tends to do, but but actually, I th- I thought he was just kind of fine. You know, it he, he, he wasn't going to be in many positions where he was going to be able to make a a positive impact in in the final third, um, just because he was doubled up on throughout the match. One thing I would add to to what you said about uh, Alioski being brought on, it was interesting that Dallas was kept on and Ailing brought off. And I think, again, that's because um, Bielsa probably 
prefers Dallas's balls into the box, um, and I th- and maybe as well also to to have a little bit more of defensive cover on on Hoylet. But like I, I think Ailing's fine in that regard. But I think it was simply that alioski has got a good ball into the box. Um, Dallas has got a good ball into the box. Bielsa realised that we, that's what was going to be happening. That we were going to be going down the wing. They were going to be doubled up on the wingers. The wingers were going to lay it back to the fullbacks, and the fullbacks were going to cross it in. Uh, and it was just a it was simply a, a way of doubling up on that. But um, Tom, what are your thoughts on this? Regarding Costa, I think a lot uh, a lot of his game relies on him having a good first touch and he didn't have a good first touch yesterday. Uh, like when he has games where his first touch is on, he's so much more dangerous because he's so quick and he can get, you know, you have a good first touch and he's away. Whereas yesterday, his first touch seemed a bit off and he was, you know, he, he was going into areas that he shouldn't have really been going into. And he can still, he can make up for that with his pace a lot of the time, but not really yesterday when there wasn't any space to run into. And and I think that's that's probably why he was taken off. His his, his touch was a bit off. Um, we've got questions about switching wingers from one side to the other. I don't want to get into that now because we are running on for time, and we have talked about this elsewhere. Thomas Dix asks, "What did you make of Paveda and Gotts, Tom?" I think Gotts just played it incredibly safe, didn't he? He just passed it backwards about five times, which I guess you know he's a young player playing for the second time. It's fine. Uh, Paveda looked tidy and uh, technical without without doing anything particularly creative but he he's he's definitely seemed like a useful squad player who is up to the task of being able to come into the team and not embarrassing himself I don't think this is a sort of game to really judge either of those two players to be fair especially given that they both came on last 20 minutes and then the game was sort of set from there um Paveda isn't going to blow anyone away with a team that are sitting in a bank of four and five or five and four in some iteration. So I think, it, again, he was being doubled up on. There was times when there was three players on him. So just a horrible situation for him to come on. Darren, any thoughts on those two players? Yeah, just, just that thing that you referred to earlier, really, John, that that we need to beware of making Paveda the saviour, given that he's had, you know, less than 10 minutes uh, first team minutes in his entire career he'll come on and he'll 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 look good sometimes you know like yesterday he did maybe a couple of couple of drag backs when surrounded by players that's not enough to judge judge a winger on is it you know i think i think we need a much bigger sample size before deciding whether he's he's going to be someone that needs to go in in front of helder costa for example yeah um one final thing on individual performances uh, uh tyler roberts uh, i think You've been vindicated in your view, and I know Josh Hobbs is the same on this, that Tyler Hobbs is a striker. He's not a creative uh, attacking central midfielder. Um, Leasley Lee says, interesting to see the stats for Roberts' performance today. Felt he gave the ball away a lot. Him and Bamford seem to struggle together and we don't create clear-cut chances. Uh, again, everything comes with the caveat that you know it's a very specific type of play, but in terms of um, in terms of Roberts, I thought Roberts was, was not terrible I think his distribution was poor he, he laid a few balls in a little bit too pacily uh, that I think that's just a nerve nerve thing on the ball he was great there's a few times where he just sort of uh, got through two or three tackles in close succession which is horrible to do and I think he's probably the best player on the pitch for that without uh, Hernandez being on there I noticed that he uh, miscontrolled the ball more than anyone else on the team he had three um, uncontrolled touches, but I mean, again, he's a, he's playing in an attacking position. He's he's making more at risk and high risk um, efforts. In terms of his passing accuracy, again, he was down at seventy three point seven percent, which is pretty low. But again, he's in he's in the hole in a game where there's no space whatsoever. So I wouldn't hold that against him. Um, and again, you know. I personally see him as a striker too, and I think it's unfair to expect two sort of number nines to break down uh, a, sort of, a sort of packed defence. And l- let's be honest, Cardiff had 
players in the box every time we were anywhere near it um, and it was just so congested and it was for me strange watching the Liverpool um, the, the the Merseyside derby later on just how much more space there was when teams went forward it just makes you really realise just quite how, how stodgy were uh, Cardiff were in defence um, guys thoughts on, on Roberts I'll go to you Darren because um, yeah as I said you were, you've been proved right in your opinion I think <laughs> I mean, I, I probably wouldn't go that far because, as I, as I think you say, that two two banks of four is not an ideal situation, or, or a four and a five is not an ideal situation for someone like Roberts to pick the way through. For all that, I do think he's a striker, and that's where he'll eventually end up playing. Um, I did feel he was our most likely outlet in terms of his ability to make something happen in and around the box, maybe beat a player, and and and, and hopefully find space for a shot. What happened a lot is that he beat one man, and then there was nothing for him to do, so he tried to beat another. Um, there was no pass on, so yeah, I, I yeah, I felt he was he was our most likely source of getting back into the game. I I agree that he's probably he probably will be best as a striker, but I don't think he can't play there. You know, I think I think he has qualities that that some of our other players don't have in midfield that can be useful, like the ability to beat a man. I'd be interested to see us with Pablo on the right and him in that role as well, um, because I think he does replicate a lot of the f- features that Helder Costa has added to the team, the ability to beat a player and uh, the pace and stuff. So I'd, yeah, I'd be interested to see him and Pablo uh, in the same midfield together. A couple of questions on, on going forwards. Again, I am aware of time, so let's try and keep this tight. But uh, we had a question from Brolin Ate the Pie. Goals, who, when, where, how? Um, so yeah, I think there's a, a, a legitimate question about where goals are going to come from for us if, if Pablo isn't, fi- uh, if Bamford isn't firing, sorry. So guys, how would you answer this question? Pablo Hernandez. <laughs> Piecemeal like it's been all season, We've kind of we've had goals from around the the top end of the team throughout the year. We, we we've never relied on we've never been able to rely on one striker to score the number of goals that we need. So I think we'll we'll see much the same. Pablo away with a couple. Um, Harrison might grab one here and there. Costa might grab one here and there. Klitsch may you know may get one, but but mainly Luke Aylin. I think he's <laughs> he's going to probably get ten between now and the end of the season. <laughs> And then one final question from Chris Kirk, which I think is uh, which is an insightful one. Cardiff looked like the worst possible team to go behind against. Big, strong, and really happy to be out of possession. So best when parking bus to defend a lead. Who else in our remaining nine fixtures, if any, would do well in the same situation if we give them a sloppy goal or two? Uh, Darren, what do you reckon? Blackburn. I think Blackburn are the most likely to be able to do that. I don't see Fulham, Luton, Stoke or Swansea as particularly... You know, capable of putting that level of defence together. So yeah, I think I think Blackburn away is going to be really, really tough. Mm. Tom, yeah, I'd agree. Mm. Same. Cool. Well, hopefully this uh, podcast episode wasn't too miserable for you all. Um, again, I think you know it's it's one of those games which is frustrating because it's one of those games where the same frailties are, are put under show it's a game where as we've said if we'd have won it would have been a completely different look going into the final run uh but we are still seven points ahead we are still got a lot to play for and you know i think most of the time um the infogol um fairness league came out this morning and the, the, the game was given a rating of 20 percent on the fairness rating which is wild usually a game of 50 percent fairness is 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 off the books so i think this is maybe one of the highest uh unfairness ratings that i've i've seen from infogol so it is important to remember that this is just an entirely um, fortuitous um, result in many respects and 
Yeah, football is st- stochastically wild, um, and I guess that's why we love football because you know anything can happen. Um, let's hope that that next week's game is a little bit more um, uh, productive for us. We do have, we will be having another episode coming out um, on Wednesday, which will be previewing the Fulham game. And I'm glad that we did it this way uh, because it's sort of nice to get the cobwebs out and 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 then get it out of the system before we can then focus on what we'll do well against Fulham. Um, there is going to be a bonus episode out as well this week. Josh Hobbs and I are going to just spend 45 minutes chatting about various things. We'll put out a call for uh, questions for that. It's been a while since Josh and I had a chat, so it should be good fun. If you are interested in uh, signing up to our Patreon and getting this bonus material, then head over to patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And any money that you can send away is really appreciated. It costs us money to get hold of data and to host podcasts and stuff. So any help that can be given is um, is is really beneficial to us and we would also like to give some money back to the people who help us out putting their time into this podcast two of whom are are here today darren and tom darren how can people follow you on twitter at darren driver and tom it's at td woodhead thank you both for coming on no doubt we'll have you back on in the in the next few weeks or so and hopefully we'll have much more positive things to talk about but thank you very much and we will see you next time deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.